we would prefer, we prefer the familiar as opposed to the unfamiliar. And we would actually, in most cases, prefer the familiar, even if it's painful, than the unfamiliar, even if it has the promise of being less painful. Hello everyone, welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I wanted to create a place where people can go to to get inspired, get motivated, or find some clarity and get tools to create a radically loved life. I will do my best to provide information on a variety of subjects, including yoga, holistic health, life coaching, spirituality, meditation, and overall mindful living. Each episode will bring you some of the world's best spiritual leaders, entrepreneurs, yoga teachers, coaches, along with some of my closest friends, and we will talk about their life experiences and journeys to create something more out of their lives and how they continue to grow to make that happen. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Radically Loved. And we have a very special, I want to say reoccurring guest, but I forget that this guest has only been on the show one other time. And he has also done the Radically Loved Summit that is still available for those of you that are listening to this. Everybody, let's welcome back my teacher, Yoga Rupa Raj Stryker. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, dear. So good to be back. Now, for those of you that uh, haven't heard any of the past episodes or any of the past 300 plus episodes, you should know that (laughs) that this is my teacher. (laughs) And I say that laughing because uh, this topic comes up pretty often and I don't use that word lightly. Many of you know that I revere my teacher very much and I love and respect him so much. And he has really inspired a lot of the bigger changes in my life. And Mm. so I just wanted to say that. So if people don't know, now you know. If you don't know, now you know. Thanks for being here. I'm I'm thrilled, you know, and and there's a couple of things about that. I, I will say that you can only teach as well as the students who come to you. And Rosie, you, you know, from the very beginning, we had this meeting and, um, and it was clear to me that you were so superlative and um, you inspire me. So, uh, you know, I'm honored to be here. And usually these conversations truly are the, some of the best conversations I ever have. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be back. I take that as such a huge compliment. So I'll take that. Most of the time I'm like, oh, no, I will take that one. Thank you so much. So, there's a couple of things that I would love to talk about today and mm. we'll see if we can st- stay the course because I know that a lot of the times our conversations take us in many different directions. Mm. Um, it is summertime and I love the summer here in sunny Los Angeles as well in Col- as in, in Colorado, which is where you are. Yeah. And I usually use this time myself i know this is very strange but i use this as my time to hibernate for whatever reason this is usually my time to take a hiatus to take a little break to really just go in and i'm definitely not the person that wants to go and be in the places where i'm around a lot of people a lot of people go to festivals and they want to be out they want to be and i am so the opposite i want to I just want to go in. I want to read. I want to write. I want to just focus on taking care of myself. And again, I don't know why that is, but this has been a really big topic, especially with the year and a half that we've had going through this pandemic. I feel like everybody's nerves are shot. (laughs) And one of the main things that people always come to us um, to request are, how do we quell our anxiety? How do we, uh, how do we create a, a sleep ritual? How do we create a, a more groundedness in our life? Most of the time, I find for myself, anytime I'm looking for podcasts to listen to or conversations, I'm always wanting to learn something, learn some new way new learn some new technique to apply to my life so that I can be more present and be more embodied because Mm. you know as you know my history I spent so much of my early life being disembodied growing up in East LA during the LA riots going through debilitating panic attacks for many years so how 
how do we even begin this conversation? Well, let's begin by just first acknowledging life in the industrial world uh, is not in any way been, it's not a construct that's conducive to your nervous system, to the human nervous system. So our nervous systems are unchanged and they're, they're the same as they were 50,000 years ago. And yet just the technological achievements, never mind the last 10 years, but I mean, but the, you know, really hundreds, last 200 years, but particularly the last five to 10 to five years or something. They, all of that stuff that are, has become so central to our life has nothing to do with um, a, a nurturing or healing or soothing or taking care of our nervous system. And kind of the opposite, really, and not, it's not kind of, but frankly, it, we're heading in the opposite direction, that the amount of information we take in, the amount of images, literally the, bit, the number of bytes of information are multiples of what we took in 10, 20 years ago. Same nervous system, but now it needs us, it needs to really facilitate so much more assimilation, so much more processing. We, we, we need so much uh, to process so much more information. So that's the first thing that we all have to acknowledge. So the levels of anxiety and depression and, uh, and um, 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 restlessness, and even, you know, and the worst kinds of stuff, suicidal ideation that came in the midst of the pandemic. I mean, it's not in a vacuum and it's not just only pandemic related. All of that stuff really has to do with the kind of level of disconnect we have from their four basic rhythms that the body has. And uh, one of which is our circadian rhythm. But another one is the, the one that are, which is, by the way, that relates to just um, the sleep wake cycles in alignment with the sun. But another one has to do with the rest and activity cycles that your body every 90 minutes or so goes through one of these waves where after about 90 minutes, you're supposed to rest. Now, in simpler times, we would do that. We'd just kind of sit under a tree. And by the way, there would be something called boredom. You know, we'd also get bored. Mm -hmm. And boredom was, is absolutely critical for what you're, what I'm hearing behind what your question was, was all about your impetus in the summer. There's something called auto, uh, autobiographical planning, you know, where we're actually kind of just, when we get bored, our brain slowly begins to unwind itself and begin to self-reflect even without trying to, but boredom that naturally happens. And we begin to look at our story. We look at where we've been. We begin to, well, I don't want to do that again. And I would like to do this. And so all of that kind of spaciousness that we used to have and our nervous systems developed within, you know, within that kind of context, that's all been kind of totally turned upside down. So when you say something simple, where do we begin? What I say, Rosie, is to begin to honor this kind of wave that happens to us as human beings, which is that we're, our body is meant to slow down every 90 minutes. Imagine that. Oh, I, it's, it, yeah. It makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. And I, I know that we've talked about this before. I've been to many trainings with you where this is an ongoing theme. We talk about the importance of rest the importance of allowing that part of our brain to process the information to like we give our bodies the time to digest we don't give our minds the time to to digest and i know that there's a lot of that processing that happens during sleep mm -hmm. and i love what you said i'll just go back one click where you mm -hmm. were talking about boredom because the minute that you said that i was like i remember back in the day back in the day when we would have to go to places and wait in line and we didn't have our pacifier of our phone, my, the magnetic leash is what I call it. Um, we didn't have the pacifier of that. You're able to just talk to the person in front or, or just look around and observe what was present. Now you, I was specifically thinking of, did you ever go to the griddle on sunset? The no, griddle cafe? No. It's this really busy cafe on Sunset Boulevard right next to the Directors Guild. And I'm, I'm going way back now, but we used to on the weekends get up really early and there was this big line and it's 
totally overhyped. I'm sorry to disappoint anybody out there who's <laughs> like, it's totally overhyped. It's like these ridiculously oversized pancakes with tons of sugar. And mm. it's not really great, but it's, you know, when you feel like having a treat, it's awesome. And it's really more about the vibe. It's more about the experience. Yeah. It's still very old diner type of setting and there's always a line to be you know everybody's always waiting in line and i remember having the greatest conversations with people because there's people from all over the world that would come and wait in that line and that was actually my first experience with hearing people talk in different accents and hear different languages because here are these you know little kids these these little vagabond children just waiting in line for these pancakes and we're hearing these different conversations and we're talking with people from all over the world and there's some there's something very exciting about oh where are you where is that like where is that in the world where is this country what language are you speaking and now we don't even get to have that connective experience because we're just looking down at our phone those conversations i don't think will ever happen now so going back to what you said about boredom and and the importance of that I, I just feel like we're missing and that gives me anxiety right I'm like I think about that um it gives me anxiety thinking yeah. about anxiety gives me anxiety thinking about what's not happening happening is giving me anxiety but yeah. for the people that are listening to this right now that are hearing you speak about what we need to create that spaciousness and all they're thinking is I have kids I have a job I need to do this. I don't have space. I don't have time. Like what are, what There's, can we say to them? Right. There's some workarounds for sure. Um, so there's some biohacks to rest and to reaching that spaciousness. One of which is notice where your eyes are, what your eyes are focused on. So in the context, obviously in our conversation, I want to be with you. So I'm focused, but the moment um, I actually look out the window and I have a pretty expansive view out my window, but the moment I widen my vision, and if I hang onto that for 30 seconds, there'll be a change in my nervous system. Literally just changing what you're looking at from a narrow focus to a wide focus. There's almost nothing that can work as effectively as simply changing what you're seeing. Uh, of all our five senses, human, human beings are most dominant in their sense of sight. Um, you know, so, uh, it triggers almost immediately a shift in the sympathetic in the sympathetic to parasympathetic nervous system. So that's something that we can do really quickly. Um, the other thing is just interrupt. What I would say is no matter what you're doing, and this is something I learned actually in the course of writing my book, thank God I came across um, this thing called the Pomodoro method. Have you ever heard about it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you I, do it? The, yeah, I did. That's, just, that's how I wrote my book. Oh, me. Yeah, right. Yeah. Me too. And uh, for those who don't know, right, you take a break every 25 minutes mm -hmm. and you just get up and literally, according to the system, it doesn't matter what you do. I mean, you could do push-ups, you could do, you could take a walk, you step outside, you scratch the dog, you, you just take five minutes away from the task at hand. Uh, because the, if we stay more narrow focus, what it does is it, 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 the brain has two modes. One is called exploitation, one's exploration. In the exploration mode, we're really super task focused. In the exploration mode, this is when we get creative, when, we're, when we think outside of the box, when we find solutions that we can't get to in this exploitation mode. In the exploratory mode, your brain has all these new um, association. So you find kinds of ideas that you didn't have before. So when I step away, when you stepped away from your computer for five minutes, every 25, by the way, so that's a half hour, we're supposed to do that four times, and then take another break, a longer break. And you know, you can then cycle again around four of those. But what happens is, I don't know about if this was your experience, but as I was writing my book, I found that sentence or that paragraph, I could not get through when I was sitting there. And rather than sit there for another 20 minutes trying to work it out, I get up and on the way back or on the way out on the break, immediately the idea about the solution to that sentence comes around. And so what neurologists and social scientists are telling us and what therapists, and especially trauma therapists are telling us is that we have to consistently insert these periods of short rest, 
So we're not asking you to stand on your head or hold your breath for 20 minutes or do anything uh, uh, super intense like that. But those short breaks, as hard as they may be for us to break the pattern of kind of this super focused state of hyper arousal, which keeps your, your, your mind really narrow is, is literally step away. You know, just use the, the, that's the mantra is step away and shift the rhythm. And then we begin to work more in sync with the nervous system and what it really does want. And there's so many things, again, I started the conversation by saying, you know, let's just acknowledge we're completely out of sync with nature. And, you know, human beings are not even monophasic sleepers. So for those of us, if you don't sleep well for eight hours and, or even if you do sleep well for eight hours and you notice in the afternoon, you get tired. I know it's not practical for everybody, but the reason you get tired around three or four o'clock is because human beings are actually biphasic sleepers. Our neurology actually in the old days, we'd actually go to sleep. We'd take a nap and which still in some Southern parts of Europe, they still do. Fewer and fewer, though. Um, the main thing is that you, we begin, if at all possible, is to change the patterning. And I'll, I'll submit that the prevalence of depression and anxiety and, unfortunately, suicide, they're all, at all-time highs. They're at all-time highs. And you can't separate it from not just the fact that we're exposed to news and all that information, but it's also that we've lost our relationship or our relationship to nature is so deteriorated, our relationship to the sunrise and sunset. Um, the other thing I would just ask, you know, just, and I'll stop talking soon and ask me another question, but just so I get it in, uh, when you talk about simple things people can do to create real meaningful changes is really watch what you do um, that last half an hour before you go to sleep. You know, one thing I learned and, and really appreciate is the idea that it doesn't become night instantly. The idea that you can just lay in bed and, and fall asleep. And it's like going from your waking state to a sleeping state and you expect it just to happen like that. Well, in nature, the sun sets slowly, you know, and it's even doesn't really get dark until the sun is actually dropped. And so we should have a kind of very gradual sense of, okay, this is when I'm willing to let go of all of the accomplishments and stuff I do in my waking state. And now let me prepare for my sleep state. And it actually takes, it's a transition. And it's a, more than anything, it's a transition in willingness. Are you willing to step away from what you accomplish and your responsibilities and your mindset during the day, during your waking life, and to step into the mystery that is sleep and uh, you know the joy that is sleep. And, having just written a book about it, um, you know, we all got to remember and, uh, that so much of what, so much is at the heart of what our conflict is these days is this feeling of distinction that we're different, that people don't understand our point of view or are unwilling to accept our point of view. And what I'd say, you know, look, we all meet at the same place in sleep. And deep down, we are all the same. And, in, and we, we rest in that sameness in sleep. So it has great, it's a great healing. It's a great healing pool. Yeah. I I'd love to actually just to piggyback on that because I, I find that so poignant when people are going through grief or they're going through pain or loss, because we do find that neutrality in that in that sleep state where I am no longer my pain. I am no longer my past. I am no longer my ideals or my goals for the future. You just are in that space. And so I'd love, you've talked about this before. Um, and I, I, I'm sure your book is going to go into this. Um, but I'd love for you to share that with everybody. Um, what happens? Why, why can I, before I go to bed, be in so much anguish and sadness about somebody that I lost and then wake up in the morning and then have to re-remember because when you're sleeping, you, you are cutting off the cycle of that thought pattern. So what exactly happens? Well, so there's more than one explanation. So we could come at it from a neurological explanation. Where we're really studying the brain where, uh, you know, essentially um, parts of the brain 
are cut off from receiving information. And um, in essence, we go in that thing, in that conversation. You know, I'm a yogi. I'm interested in neuroscience, but I'm a yogi. So why not talk about it in that context? In that context, you know, according to the yoga tradition, we're actually this self that is down that ground. The Buddhists call it ground luminosity. It's the very essence of everything. Um, it's the common essence of everything. And it's undestructible. It's unchanging. It's never, at the same time, it's unchanging, but it's always new. And the beauty of it is that as scientists have studied it, and they've taken interest in clearly what is consciousness, what is it the base, what is the base of the basis of us, the basis of universe, the basis of thought, they recognize that consciousness is self-organizing, which is so extraordinary because what that means is that the more we extract ourselves from these other dimensions like the physical, the mental, even the energetic, the intellectual, as we start to withdraw, we start to move toward consciousness, toward this source, the singular reality. Again, I'm not putting, I'm not painting a religious picture on it, but other people could call it God or nature or essence of mind. Um, it's self-organizing, which means that as you approach it, you start to heal on all these other levels. You start to gain insight if you're conscious of all these other levels. Well, in sleep, you're on the precipice of consciousness and we can see where we're going just in that glimpse we get right before we fall asleep. And that falling asleep moment, we all think about it. So you said it beautifully, like one minute we're going through so much turmoil and conflict and confusion and restlessness and paying bills and all that. And then somehow magically it starts to fade and just as it's fading, something comes in and then we fall asleep. And that thing that comes in is this, I don't know, you know, best words I would describe is this kind of floating delight. We're now in this kind of pristine delight, joy, yogis called it bliss, if you will. And then we drop off. Well, where you're actually hovering is in that field of delight. And what the yogis say is you've withdrawn. There's no identification with your body. There's no identification with your breath or energy or movement. There's no identification with your intellect. There's no identification even with being aware of yourself having a body and having, you're just hovering in this unique, tiny, tiny, thinnest layer just before you get to consciousness. And it is delightful. And when you start thinking about it in those terms, it sounds a lot like sleep and the entry into it sounds a lot like the highest stages of meditation. So one thing that the yogis were trying to do with their methodologies and in particular yoga nidra is hover there consciously. And that talk about self-organizing. Now what happens is the body is regenerated, cells regenerate, all sorts of your, your uh, uh, telomeres, begin to lengthen. These are the things that protect your cells, protect the, protect the cells. In essence, they keep you, they slow down the aging process. Um, so that's the magic of it. Unfortunately, you know, sleep as reparative, as reparative as it is, as you said, quickly upon awakening, you reconstruct the version of you that existed prior to going to sleep. Right. And in meditation, that's not the case. You're much more you have the opportunity to choose how much of the old you you want to keep. Especially if you meditate regularly, what starts to happen is you get that glimpse of the emptiness and now you go, well, you know, that part of things is not working for me. I have to start slowly step away from those things. So that's the beauty of it. And also the universality of it. Yeah. And it's, God, it's such a, it's so, beautiful and incredible and it feels so good but it's only it only lasts for moments in my experience but I'm still very much a novice um, and I've been practicing for a long time but I definitely feel those moments and yet I am still human and I still go into my identification to my career and what I'm doing and then it's so easy to come out of it
This episode is brought to you by Flex. One of the biggest things that bothered me about period care was the sheer waste of materials. Every month they would go flushing down the toilet and it really bothered me. But if you want a period product that looks out for your body, your lifestyle, and the planet, you've got to try Flex. Flex is innovating period care with products that are body safe, made for comfort, and made to keep you moving. And if you want the planet to love you even more, choose the Zero Waste Flex Cup, a reusable menstrual cup that Cosmo rated number one. The patented pull tab makes Flex the only cup on the market that removes like a tampon. It's so easy, you already know how to use it. It's disability friendly and made with beginners in mind. I remember when I first tried the Flex Cup, it was a little bit intimidating because I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to get it out, but it's actually not that complicated. You gotta just, well, bear down and reach for the cup. Flex has helpful videos and in-depth diagrams and Flexperts available to walk you through the entire process. You'll never go back to the products from the past once you try Flex. So lend mother nature a hand. Go to flexfits.com forward slash loved and use the code loved for 20% off flex disc starter kits or 10% off of your first flex cup plus free us shipping. That's code L O V E D at flex F L E X fits F I T S.com forward slash loved. This episode is brought to you by Sakara. Feeling your best starts with what you eat. Sakara helps you to not just eat healthy, but to truly enjoy it with chef-crafted, plant-rich meals that build a foundation for radiant health. Still trying to break that sugar habit? Yes, I know. I am. I've been trying for many years. Sakara's clean, plant-rich, ready-to-eat meals nourishes your body with whole organic ingredients that retrain your palate and help you break up with your sweet tooth for good. Along with delicious plant-rich meals, Sakara offers daily wellness essentials like supplements and herbal teas to support your nutrition. Experience their best-selling metabolism super powder and metabolism super bar to control sugar cravings, reduce bloating, boost energy, and reduce fatigue. Sakara has received rave reviews from Vogue, Goop, The New York Times, and more. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off of their first order when they go to sakara.com forward slash loved or enter code loved at checkout. That's sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A dot com forward slash loved to get 20% off of your first order sakara.com forward slash loved. Thank you, Sakara, for supporting our podcast. I actually want to just go back to what you mm-hmm. said about how out of sync we are with nature because mm. I I love the the metaphor and not only just the metaphor of how nature is. I mean, we don't try and fast forward a flower to bloom. We don't try and fast forward the sun to come up and down, even though we might want the day to go by quickly, or some days we don't want it to go by quickly, but we don't think about the patience that nature has with itself. It just exists in that way. And I find it so fascinating that for us in our journey, we don't give ourselves that space and we don't give ourselves the opportunity to have that patience because we've been so desensitized to being bored to to being patient because everything happens so quickly we've sort of primed ourselves to having this instant gratification that's why for me the whole process of sleep is so fascinating like we all need it we all do it we all need to have it in order to be at our most optimum health we need to have that that reset that processing time that Mm -hmm. spaciousness and I feel like we are lacking those moments that you're talking about. Um, And just going back to the nature bit, if we can get more in sync with how nature is, I think it would just teach us a lot more about our own process and even our own process through healing. And and I'll bring one example up. Um, We recently uh, went through a a pretty tragic loss. we lost one of our, our, our puppies and it was so agonizing and painful. And I know 
what works. I know I have the tools. I know exactly what what is happening in my body, in my heart, and in my mind. And I know that when I get to go to those places, I know that when I go to sleep, I'm not going to feel the pain. And it's sort of that conscious process of waking up when I have to remember, oh, right, this being is no longer here Mm. or this relationship is no longer here. And so Mm. that uh, re-entry for me, and we've talked about it in the past, is always really rough for me. And, And there's other people that I've talked to where they feel the same thing. So this transition that you were just talking about going from this delightful state and then coming into this world where there's Instagram and there's bills to pay and there's children to raise and there's loss and pain and people suffering. How do we then having the knowledge and having the tools to get us through these very difficult obstacles how do we implement them into our life so that we're not so jarred upon waking i know that's a big question oh it's it's a it's a wonderful question you know and 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 in a way it speaks to something that i deal a lot with and, and see students struggle with a lot and you know let me just say almost to introduce the idea that human beings we would prefer we prefer the familiar as opposed to the unfamiliar And we would actually, in most cases, prefer the familiar, even if it's painful, than the unfamiliar, even if it has the promise of being less painful. So again, we prefer the pain that is familiar as opposed to even the cure that is unfamiliar. And so there's that feeling, and I think all of us have experienced it at some point, where we're going through a difficult time and it's hard to go to sleep. We'd rather stay up, you know, whether it's watching television or staying on the internet or doing social media or whatever, to kind of be in that place rather than let go, rather than experience the letting go of it. Mm. Same thing actually extends in yoga, in practice, in yoga practice, so that we don't know that if I let go, say if I'm in meditation and I take my mind gradually, I struggle try to take my mind. Is the pain going to get worse as my mind gets quiet? I don't know because it's unfamiliar. I know this pain, but I don't know what that pain would be like. Is it going to get worse? Am I going to see aspects of it that I don't yet know how I'm going to deal with because I haven't dealt with them before? So there's sometimes this resist, this uh, preference to go toward the familiar pain as opposed to the unfamiliar potential cure actually keeps people from practicing yoga or meditation and we can't relinquish it. We can't, we don't want to relinquish the familiar. So because that unfamiliar is a kind of death for lack of a better word, it's kind of an unknown, it's a void. So, you know, it's interesting you bring it up. It's actually the last chapter in my book, to be honest with you, because it's so funny. I mean, this is why I love these conversations with you because you just, you, you kind of dig into my mind and and bring these things out, you know, you create conversation around these things that I haven't told you, talked to you about. But um, that transition from the, let's say, the peacefulness and the spaciousness of deep relaxation and or meditation, which is what Yoga Nidra provides, and then you move back into life, it's almost like life is harsher than it would have been because you don't have this sense of this other world. That's, I think, what your question was speaking to. The only, the only real solution to that challenge is that we cultivate more awareness along the way. And that means that where we started the conversation, Rosie, where that we, we understand the necessity of creating spaciousness, separation, we interrupt cycles of hyperarousal or narrow focus. Why, why is that important? Well, one, it benefits our nervous system and we are these animals, we are these beings and it's our nervous system plus the specific hormones that are moving through my body any given time, plus the neuropeptides and the neurotransmitters. And that'll pretty much tell you how I'm feeling. My nervous system plus neurotransmitters and hormones and the sum total of all of that, that pretty much will tell you how I'm feeling. So 
we know that when you take, when you interrupt cycles of hyperarousal and focus, and if you're really sad on the couch, we know that taking a walk helps. We know that getting out in nature helps. I'm not talking about any deep esoteric methodology. I'm saying get outside, take a walk. If you can, hug a tree, literally sit on a tree, look at a tree, look at something like that. But also the value of taking that is more than just physiological. What it does, it begins to remind us that there is more to it. You know, I, 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 I there was a very um, interesting kind of the, the researchers looked at the pandemic and they looked at who suffered the worst in the pandemic, emotionally and psychologically. And uh, do you know the age group that was that had the most suicidal ideation and depression and anxiety? Teenagers. And so they looked at why teenagers is why this was all about. And what they what what the what the social scientists come back and tell us is that the longer you live, the more events you go through and you realize you'll be okay, as difficult as something may be at a given time. The passing of your pet, by the way, the moment you did it, I'm I'm thinking of oh my God, I'll start crying. When Raja was on the table and they put my, that was my dog you know 15 years and they put him to sleep i i've never wept for the next three days like i wept those three days um but my, where was i before the dog thing um the point is that you realize you can survive those events the more of those events you collect but young people not so much the pandemic felt like that was it life would never return to normal so one is you take, you interrupt these cycles so you can be reminded that something endures other than what you're focused on. Okay, I get so focused on this thing and I'm not even aware I'm hyper-focused on the loss of a loved one, a traumatic event, my sadness. But you interrupt those cycles as we did very pragmatically when we were writing and you get more expanse, you get more clarity. The other thing that I think we I'm not sure if we've done it before, but this whole idea of how easy is it to step out of the emotional, intellectual um, absorption, so in our thoughts and our feelings, how, how, what's another way to step out of it? Early, the first thing I offered was that just change what you're looking at. Within 30 seconds, you'll have a change in your nervous system. It'll produce more alpha waves, which are more relaxing. And it also allows you to have a larger macro-like view. Uh, but the other thing I offer people is that, look, primarily what will most of us experience throughout our waking state is something like subject object referral. When I'm thinking about myself or I'm feeling my, the sensations in my body, I'm in my head, I'm having my emotions, I'm barely paying attention to the outer world. That's called subject referral. Now, when I'm totally focused on you, or on a video game, or on uh, the television, or on music, or on something. That's called object referral. Okay, so both, so we have this thing, and if I'm in subject referral in my mood, I have a really crappy mood, but suddenly I hear an earthquake, I go straight from subject to object referral. Okay, forget about what I'm feeling, the, the, the building shaking. So we're going through this subject object referral all the time. Now, what the spiritual understanding is, is that neither depict reality. So reality is neither an object nor a subject. Reality, reality pervades both and is beyond both. So consciousness is, pervades the subject, pervades the object, but it's not confined to it. It's above it. So how do I get to consciousness? Because again, this is, this is how, this was the long answer to your simple question, That's great. Rosie, which is, how do, you know, if we wake up and we slowly find ourselves reassembling our reality or we relax and suddenly the harshness of reality comes back, how do we, how do we begin to smooth that out so it's not so drastic? The idea is you practice awareness through the course of your life. You remember that you're neither your feelings and your thoughts, nor are you what the world seems to be doing. Now, it's not to say we ignore it totally. You know, clearly that was happening for me when I uh, was experiencing so much grief when I, when I lost my dog, when I did. Um, but the reality is we, where we find reality, when we find a permanent 
source of relief or, or uh, elevation, if you will, is to know what is not subject and object. So right now, those of you, those listeners who are watching us, so for a moment, just become aware of yourself in whatever way, like where you're sitting, how you're sitting, the sensations in your lower back. <clears throat> we could go further, but just as a general way, become conscious of yourself, very soft focus on the screen and what's happening outside of you. And just take a few seconds for that. And now become as aware, now we'll just shift and we'll just become as aware of this thing that's happening in front of us, the object called this uh, radically loved uh, podcast and everything that's going on here. And now I'm looking at the screen, I'm taking that in, I'm taking all of the movements, the colors and the lights and all that. And then I shift back and I just, I'm gonna ask everyone watching just to do that once or twice, uh, a couple more times. So back to yourself, what's it feel like to be you? to think what you're thinking. And now what does the screen look like? And how do you experience that? And I said twice, so we'll do it one more time. We'll go back to ourselves. What are you thinking, feeling, doing? And what are you seeing again as an object? Okay, so now I'm gonna ask you to bring an awareness to the space between yourself, the subject, the object called the screen. So my focus, by the way, is somewhere out here. Somewhere right around here. And see if you can feel or sense or see that there's something in that space. And as you do that, invariably, gradually, what you'll start to sense is there's an expansion. You're, you, you start to expand out of just this subject-object orientation. And by the way, I'm doing it now, even as I'm speaking. I may look like I'm looking at the screen, but what I'm seeing is this, I'm experiencing the space between. It's that simple. And by the way, now I'll stop that nonsense and I'll come back to you because what happens is as you start to more and more move into it, all of that vanishing of turmoil that we described in sleep starts to happen while you're awake. And that's this consciousness thing which again is in subject and in object, but it's transcendent of both. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, you've done, I've been, you've done that in class before and there's a couple of other trainings that you've done this and I, it, I do it so often that the minute that you started to do, to, to guide, I knew where you were going. And so I was able to just go yeah. in there and I was kind of like, uh, I totally just lost where I was. I was going into that like yoga high state. Um, because it's just, there is this energy, there's this essence, this awareness, this spaciousness that just creates this sense of relaxation, the sense of release, the sense of non-doing. What I call it is the, um, the power and grace of present moment perception. And it means that, and I'll, and I'll just to be very frank, you know, it's like I, uh, many years ago, uh, my daughter and my son were four months old and they were, they got very sick. They were in the ICU for three days. And uh, then the doctor, our doctor came to us and said, you know, I think we have to life flight them out of this hospital. Cause I don't think it was here in, in this small, part of in, where I live in Colorado here in the mountains. I think we have to like, I don't think the hospital has a facility to keep your daughter alive. All right. So I'm the dad, the husband, father of these, um, uh, these two kids. And, you know, they are my flesh and blood and I love them with all my heart. So on the one hand, I can go into like, oh my God, like literally, which of course I did. On the other hand, if I was going to uh, be of service to the family, and be the best version of I could be in the moment, I needed to tap into the power and grace of present moment perception. I couldn't get into the idea of my daughter dying. And I couldn't get into the idea of um, what's this going to cost? What's going to happen? Who's going to go? Who, how's, by the way, they got in the helicopter and they left us behind. So it was all of this stuff. So by the way, I did it the whole drive to Denver in a snowstorm. And I walk this line between subject, object, and consciousness. And consciousness keeps giving us answers. 
keeps creating this sense of clarity. Earlier, I said it's self-organizing. So in effect, it's moving us. The more we move toward it, the more it has this effect on us becoming totally reintegrated. And so that's where I would find my answers, what to say to my wife, how, where, how to drive, how to deal with the doctors, how to deal with my own fear. And throughout that process, I'd never want to relive it, I can tell you that. But throughout the process, I was getting information, I was getting guidance from something that wasn't, it wasn't my little mind and my own, uh, you know, breaking heart about, you know, as I was going through all of that. And that, and so it's, it doesn't have to be that mystical, you know, we can do this and it's stuff that we can practice. And the more often you said, Rosie, it's very telling you've done it before. So you could start instantly start feeling it. And whenever I sit with a client and they tell me that they have some, a loved one dying or they're going through a divorce, I mean, the human part of me naturally feels a certain level of the trauma that's that they're experiencing in their nervous system. But I also know that I can't be of service to them if I become too empathetic. And so how I do it is while still staying connected as I am now, I remember this spaciousness and I have become so intimate with it, for lack of a better word, that I feel it guiding me. It's not just, it's not spiritual bypassing, by the way. It actually allows me to engage more fully because in that spaciousness, there is no fear and there is no hesitation. And you step even beyond mortality uh, and um, your the limited field of knowledge that you have intellectually. So, wow, how'd we get here? Oh, I don't know, but I'm just, I, I'm the... looking at the time and I'm like, wow, this is where the conversation just went. And, yeah. and I'm... I'm glad it did. It needed to go there. Uh, I'll tell you right now without going into it, it's exactly what I needed to hear right now. And um, I'm sure that there's people listening that yeah. feel exactly the same way. And as we both know, we can continue this conversation for hours and hours and just go yeah. on and on and see where the conversation takes us. But I will... Um, leave it as a teaser to the new listeners. So tune in to the last interview that we did and I'll link it in the show notes of this Great. podcast. Okay. Um, but I want to be respectful of your time. And I just feel like that that is the perfect, uh, the perfect place for us to, to close this, this uh, conversation. Can I, so. I'll just, can I say one more thing yeah, just on the heels of that to close yeah. that out? Because I do think that's a good place to close. You started this, um, you started our conversation today by talking about this transition and indeed, uh, you know, masks are off and God, isn't it nice to see faces again and see smiling faces. I mean, gosh, you know, this is a big deal to see a, a human face. It tells us so much. It connects us. And that's also healing for our nervous system is just to smile and see a smile. Um, but I, I also know, and I, and, and by all means, we should all exercise, uh, um, judgment good judgment and discretion but let's let's find some more joy in life and then then we've been able to find the last year and a half you know amen to that at the same time even in finding the joy and celebration and getting to spend more time with people that we love we're still confined to subject object stuff and so as much as you know the conversation may have sounded kind of heavy or out there to some to some listeners there and how much easier it is just to, you know, just to go hang out with people. But the reality is that we'll still be subject to the same confinement. Enjoy it, but understand that all that joy is really temporary again. And where we meet is in that ground of deep sleep and true equality. What I call, you know, in deep meditation or in deep sleep or in yoga nidra, it's the most egalitarian. It's the most equally equalizing place there is. So that's what's in this space and that's what's in consciousness. Um, so thanks for getting us there, Rosie. Oh, no, thank you. Are you kidding? This is awesome. I started this podcast just so we can have these conversations. <laughs> uh, so, we'll keep it going so we can keep having them. <laughs> Great. For the people that are watching this or listening to this podcast, where can they go for more information? Where should we send them to? Uh, they can go to uh, rodstriker.com, take them to the Par Yoga website. 
And um, they can also do some great practices on the Sanctuary app I have on the app on the, you can get that in the app stores. But uh, Par Yoga or RodStriker.com is probably the easiest place. Great. Yeah. We will put the links to those on the info button of this particular podcast. So wherever you get your podcast, if you go to the info section, all of those links will be there as well as the other episode that we did, as well as the Radically Loved Summit. That's a tongue twister. As well as the Radically Loved Summit that is still available for free. You can watch the replay. Just go to Radically Loved Summit. I almost forgot what it's called. Go to RadicallyLovedSummit.com and just enter your information. You'll get the link to the playback Mm -hmm. and you can see our conversation there as well. Uh, I just want to take this moment as an opportunity to express my gratitude. Thank you so much, Yoga Rupa, for being here and for being just a a light in Mm. this world that can sometimes be very shaded. Mm -hmm. And um, I want to ask you this question I've asked you before. I'm curious to see what your answer is now. And Mm. the reason why I started the podcast was to create a space and a place for people to go to to get inspired and the whole idea is that we are radically loved by god source whatever your higher power is works for us and not against us so the final question to you is how do you feel radically loved oh my goodness gracious um you know the truth is that uh i i have the gift of knowing it through silence that when I get silent and uh, I exercise that discipline every day so in silence I feel love and then truly I I also feel it in the breath of my children Um, and there's a four-legged child over there that's uh, telling me he loves me and not to lead him off that list so silence and my kids Thank you so much for everything again. Uh, we look forward to having you on again, Yogur, but thank you so much. Thank you. So, I, uh, you know, so much love for you and so much respect for what you do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so excited to continue to do this. Please share this with your friends. Email us. Message us on Instagram at Rosie Acosta or on Twitter at Rosie Acosta. Subscribe on iTunes. Write a review. We love doing this. So please help us continue to keep this podcast going. Thanks for listening.